Good morning. If you open your Bibles with me to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 this morning. We are going to take a break from Isaiah. And in the summer, I'd I, I like to just some topical issues that we want to learn about, um, preach those. And so this week we're going to talk about angels. And then next Sunday we're going to talk about demons. And, you know, let me tell you a story. I, I, was, I was at a camp uh, several years ago, and I was speaking with another pastor, and I noticed that this pastor had a wild-looking woman on her knees with his hands over her, praying for her, and I didn't know what was going on. I was off doing something else. After that night, I said, what was going on there? And he just looked at me, just nonchalant, and said, I was casting out a demon. How do you do that? And so I began to study more about angels and demons. And just because, to be honest, in the reform world, it's not something we give a lot of attention to, is it? It doesn't fit often nice and neatly in our theology. And so this morning, we want to look at angels, and it's topical, so we're going to bounce around in a lot of different places, and then next week, we're going to talk about the, the role of the demonic. So let me just read Psalm 91, uh, verse 11 and 12, and we'll get started. Let me start at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Let's pray for our time. Oh, great God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have a multitude of hosts around you, proclaiming holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, the Redeemer of mankind. Father, we ask that you would teach us now about your glory, your greatness, and part of that is your angelic host. Lord, things that we don't normally visibly see yet are there for our good and are your grace in our life. Father, teach us, comfort us. The world has such unusual ideas. Help us to, to differentiate about what's true and what's fairy tale. Lord, and may it bring us to a greater love and desire to worship you for your, your angelic ministry to your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, most people will acknowledge the existence of angels, but we like to keep their activity in the pages of the Scriptures, don't we? In the Bible, not necessarily in our lives. We can't deny angels because we see them throughout the Scripture, but, but we're very uneasy talking about them. And 
often when we do encounter angelic stories from people that we do sometimes, we just kind of chalk it up as fairy tale. One of the most uh, respected Presbyterian missionaries in the last 200 years is a man named John Patton, and he was in the New Hebrides Islands, and I was reading one of his biographies several years ago with uh, our children, and it said that Patton and his wife found themselves, and, and this was a cannibalistic, very difficult area, found himself in their hut at night, and the tribe king or warlord had decided that he was going to eradicate them. He didn't like them sharing the gospel, didn't like what they were doing. So he surrounded their hut, and they began to war chants and screaming all night. And there they are on this little island. You can imagine the scene, fearful. So he and his wife just prayed their heart out. And he said in the morning, he was still alive, and he couldn't believe it, and she couldn't believe it. Well, a year later, he led that king to Christ. And so he had an opportunity to ask him, why did you spare our lives? When, when you were circled around us in our little hut, why, why didn't you kill us? And the chief replied in surprise, the, these words, and I'll quote, Who were all those men with you there? Patton knew no men, and the chief said, I was afraid because there were hundreds of of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling your station. Patton's only conclusion were they were angels. Billy Graham tells the story that a Persian Christian book salesman was accosted by a man who asked him if he had a right to sell Bibles in their country. Why, yes, the Christian said, the missionary, we are allowed to sell these books anywhere in the country. The man looked puzzled and asked, How is it then that you are always surrounded by soldiers? I planned three times to attack you, and each time seeing the soldiers, I left you alone. Now I will no longer harm you. When we read the Bible, it mentions angels about 275 times. 108 in Old Testament, 165 in the New Testament. We find angels in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. We find angels at the end blowing the horn in the second coming of Christ. And in the life of Christ himself, God placed angels at his birth, in his temptation, throughout his teachings, in the Garden of Gethsemane to comfort him, at the cross and at the empty tomb. So to deny the presence and the work of angels is to say, essentially, we don't believe the scriptures or the stories of Christ. But for most believers, the problem is not denying the existence of angels. The problem is we just don't understand them or what they do. Or we're confused because of all the stories we've seen in the fairy tales on television. So I just want to simply, this morning, it's a little different. There's not a lot of application. We're going to bounce around the scriptures. But we want to answer three basic questions about angels, which I hope are helpful to you. First is this, what are angels? That's a pretty good place to start, right? What are angels? And I'll start with Revelation 19.10. What are angels? I'm going to read Revelation 19.10 and then Ephesians 3.15. Revelation 19.10. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. 
I am a fellow servant. Notice his words, fellow servant. I am a fellow servant with you. Ephesians 3.15. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So the, when we talk about what are angels, first is they are servants of God's family. John sees the angel, and he's so glorious and powerful. And Paul even says in um, 1 Corinthians 13, even if I speak in tongues of angels, he's not talking about tongues of an, of an unknown language. He's talking about power and authority there. And so John experiences that, and so what does he do? He falls down to worship, and the angel stops him and says, I am a servant of the king just like you are, fellow servants. He's a ministering spirit of the same family of God. You might say they are the upper part of God's family in heaven, and man is the lower part of God's family and creation on earth. And together, we are one family of what they call their servants of the king. Now, there's one great difference. Man, the scripture says, is created in the image of God, and it never tells us that angels are. So man is made in God's image. God values people in a different way than he does angels. Okay, Rusty, how do we know that? 2 Peter 2.4, let me read that to you. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So God created two groups of intelligent, moral creatures, one in heaven, one on earth. And amongst the angels, at some time in the past, many sinned, they refused to obey God, and God decided to redeem none of them, but to judge them all, creating a place for them called hell. There was no redemption offered to them. God didn't send them His Son or a Savior. They were judged in justice for their actions. Now, here's what's amazing about that. Is God could have chosen to do nothing for us. To judge man based upon our actions. And we would have faced the same fate like Second Peter talks about, of fallen angels. But he didn't. He decided to show us mercy in three great forms that he did not show the angels. First, he sent his son to come down, take upon flesh, and then to redeem and draw people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's his first grace that he did not show angels. Second is, for those redeemed, he himself in the form of the Holy Spirit came to dwell in the believer. To mark us that we are his, we are the redeemed amongst the fallen world. And the third amazing grace is, he sends angels to minister to our needs. He sends them their servants. You might even call them deacons. They're deacons of the throne. To minister to people all that we might see and know the greatness of a God who loves us. Which means our worship is unique to God. Catch that. We, you 
are able to sing songs of worship to God that the angels are not. They have not experienced as those rescued from hell and judgment. As vessels of His grace and His mercy. So God loves the worship of the church because it and it alone reveals a uniqueness of the grace and the mercy of God. Now here's what's awesome is the angels themselves long to look into that because they know nothing of it. 1 Peter 1.12 Who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Which means the angels long to look into things of the gospel because they didn't experience it which appears so amazing to them. And I think the more they see and understand what God has done for His children below, showing them grace and mercy by sending His own Son to come to redeem them, by filling them with the Holy Spirit that they might finish the race, they're in awe. And they're saying, God, show us more. Show us more what You've done that we might worship and praise You. And we as His children below, we experience that. Here's the second question. Okay, Rusty, how many are there? How many angels? Okay, that's a good question you've got. Um, in the Old Testament, it often refers to Yahweh as the God of hosts. You ever catch that? And so when you read that, you're saying, who's he hosting? Who's he hosting? Hebrews 12, 22. Let me read that for you. Innumerable angels and festal gatherings. Revelation 5.11, myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands. So how many angels are we talking about? And the best word to describe it is heaps. <laughs> heaps of angels. Now, they have names. And we, we, I'm convinced that we don't see all the angelic names, but we see some. The Bible gives them lots of incredible names. Sons of God. Holy Ones. Ministering spirits, watchers, principalities, powers. And each of them seem to have different purposes. So, so we see two distinct ones. We see the, the cherubim, who are the angels on the ark guarding the throne room of God. The angels sent to guard the Garden of Eden after man fell. They're, they're full of power and beauty. They don't seem to be messengers, but guardians of glory is how you might describe them. And then we get a little glimpse of another angel called a seraphim. He's only mentioned in Isaiah 6. And there they are covering their eyes and their very feet before the throne room of God, declaring, holy, holy, holy. And so from that, we gather that part of their job is to worship and adore God for who He is. Now, is it just mass chaos? Well, no, God's a God of order, isn't He? Right? And so in 1 Corinthians 13, he calls us to worship him in order. Sometimes Presbyterians do that too much. <laughs> you can laugh at that. That's a joke. <laughs> but so we see order with the angels. Right? They have a leader. They have leadership. In Jude 9, you see, it calls Michael the archangel. And it indicates he's, he's a ruler over these angelic hosts. Revelation 12, he leads the angelic army, so there's leadership. 
1 Thessalonians 4.16, Jesus returns with the call of the archangel. Okay? That's how many. Third question, final. What, what's their job? What do they do? Sometimes we don't know what to give angels credit for and what not to. Years ago in England, there was a train that was speeding down the tracks with very important cargo on it. The, the queen was on board. And as they're speeding down the tracks, all of a sudden the train engineer sees what he perceives is a man on the tracks waving like this. So they slam on the brakes and they get out and they go and there's no one there. Well, the train engineer walks in front for a little ways and what he finds out is the bridge some meters in front had washed out. And if they had continued on, they would have crashed into the ravine. Now, when they took the train engine back to London, what they found remarkable was in the headlight was a giant moth. Stuck there. And it was the moth itself in the motion that appeared to be like a man which stopped the train. And when the queen was told about these strange events, this is what she said. I'm sure it was no accident. It was God's way of protecting me. Now, that was not an angel on the tracks, but did God send an angel to protect the queen? Psalm 91. He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So what is the work of angels? I'm going to read Hebrews 11.4, piggybacking on that Psalm 91. Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit eternal life? Now, there's two words in the Greek here that describe angels. First is apostles, or, or ones that are sent out. And the second is deacons, one who serves. And so we put those together, and that's what angels do. The work of angels is to stand and worship before the Lord and to continuously be sent out to do His work. They are His ministers. They are His deacons to go out from His kingdom. They exist to fulfill the Father's will, almost like knights going out before a king. They are sent out on a variety of activities that could be limitless, and one of the principal activities is to minister to you. And for you. So who do they serve? Notice those words. Hebrews 1.14. For those that shall be heirs of salvation. Stop there. If you're a believer, that's you. You are an heir of salvation. And so when you become a Christian, you are adopted into God's family. You will inherit salvation in, this, in, in, in life. And one of the great privileges he sends is ministering angels to you. Okay, Rusty, does that mean I have a guardian angel? <laughs> well, the Scripture sadly never says you have a particular angel that guards you. That, that's more something on TV shows. So what is their work? Well, there is a connection between the work of angels and those serving God. I want you to see this. There is a connection in Scripture between people serving God and the work of angels. 
In fact, in Scripture, it's hard to find angels doing much outside of people serving God. So, they shut the mouths of lions in Daniel 6. They deliver the apostles from prison in Acts 5. They deliver Peter from prison in Acts 12. They minister to Jesus when He's tempted, Matthew 4. God sends angels to serve those who are serving Him. Now what is remarkable is in this work, they often take human form. Hebrews 13.2 Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So angels do take human form to serve those who are serving God. Now, that begs the question, do angels still appear to people today? Do they still minister like that? Well, in the Bible, God opened three people's eyes to see the work of angels. Jacob, Balaam, and Elisha's servant. And all, when they see everything that angels do, they're stunned at the presence of the work. In the book of Acts, angels appear to Philip, Peter, and Paul. Hebrews tells us to continue showing hospitality because we don't know that those who we show hospitality to could be angels. So first, God is sending angels to minister to your needs if you are a Christian. There's no reason to believe then that God still doesn't send angels to warn us of danger to protect us, to encourage us, to help us finish the race as we serve Him. But catch this. In the Bible, we never see anyone seeking the appearance of angels. Never. Not once. Is it anyone saying, Lord, let me see your angelic host? It's as people are serving God. God sends angels to serve them. How do we think and live this? How do we take this? Okay, Rusty, I understand the angels a little bit more now. I've had a quick th- thesis on angels. How do we think and live this? How do you take this from your head to your heart? And we'll just close with one thing. One thing. The obedience of angels above is to be the model for the obedience of the church below. And the world. What do you mean? In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us to pray, doesn't he? And he says, notice this, Thy will be done on earth as it is in... Right. What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? We pray it all the time. What does that mean? It means this. Pray that mankind below will obey God like the angels above. That's what it means. He is referring to the host in heaven, the angels who perfectly obey the king. And so it means they do exactly what God commands them to do, and they do it with worship and joy. They obey his orders perfectly and worshipful. And in our life, he has given us the handbook for life, his scriptures. Everything we need for faith and godliness, He's given us the Spirit and enables us to obey. And now He calls us pray. Pray for the church. Pray for obedience in the church, in the world, that it would reflect the children above. 
In other words, you might say it like this. Let the obedience and the actions and the joy of the children on, in below on earth reflect the worship and the joy from the children above. Now that means for you, when you struggle or I struggle, which I do and which you do, sometimes we should pray that very thing. God, I'm struggling obeying here. I am so tempted to do X, Y, O, Z. You've given me the Holy Spirit. Help me to obey here in this fallen world the same way your angelic hosts obey above with joy in totality. Father, thank you so much for... Well, let me just pray this. Lord, I pray for our world that the Gospel would spread in such a way that the worship that exists in heaven and the angelic hosts without sin praising and enjoying and honoring You, experiencing Your greatness, would be here on earth. Father, bring that type of redemption. And secondly, Father, we praise You for redeeming us. God, we don't know why there was no offer of salvation to fallen angels. But God, we are so thankful that You sent Your Son to save us your Spirit to seal us and to change us. And one day we will be with you for all eternity. You will redeem a new heavens and a new earth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.